right, so here we go. We are now in week five of our series called You're Not the Boss of Me. And hello once again. If I missed you earlier, my name is Wayne. I'm a pastor here at DCC. And you picked a great Sunday to be with us as we are continuing the series. We're talking about uh, the emotions within us that want to derail our lives. And this is something that impacts every one of you, whether in every area of your life, whether it's professionally, relationally, financially, um, any kind of arena of your life. We focus so much on training and being excellent at what we do. And we work really hard on uh, presenting ourselves well to others and really just kind of covering up the things that once in a while slip out. And so we say things like, well, where did that come from? I don't, I don't know why I said that. It's just been a bad day or I'm really tired, which might be true. Um, but Jesus comes to us and says, no, some of these things actually come from your heart. And so for us to get to this place in our lives where um, <clears throat> we're really leading our lives well, we're not one of those people we look at and say, how could they have made that decision? I would never have done that. If you would give me that kind of influence, trust, or power, if you put me at that leadership position in I, my company, like whatever it may be, or if I had that kind of influence, I would never have done that. But we underestimate the power of things that are deep down in our hearts. So we're learning to look inward and be willing to kind of admit, maybe this is who I am. And so we're talking about these different emotions. We've talked about guilt. We've talked about um, envy and anger. And so today we're going to look at one that's a pretty big one. And it's been, a, you know, it's always a part of our lives, but it's kind of been thrust in a much greater way this past year. And it is fear. And fascinatingly enough, Jesus talked a lot about fear. He mentions it a lot, a, a lot, excuse me. And what's interesting is none of us want fear to be the boss of our lives. We don't want fear to be running us. And that's kind of what this series is, is each of these emotions, when they take root, they are actually the ones that are calling the shot, whether it's envy, anger, whatever it may be. And so none of us want fear to be the boss of us. And for some of you here today, fear isn't. It's not a problem for you. You know, you, you're able to kind of go about life. You, you have challenges and you embrace them well. And, fe and fear isn't your boss. But for some of us, others of us, it can be part of your life. And it's impacting everything that you do. And the articles that you read, you kind of feed into that. Or you see other social media posts or just the circumstances of the world, how COVID just kind of wants to keep holding on and keep life being uncertain. And we're not sure how things are going to go, all those different things. And then there's other influences in your life, whether it's health things or financial. A lot of us are deeply impacted by our past, our upbringing, and events that have happened to us. And fear begins to have a seat at the table of our lives and begins to call the shots. Or maybe fear for you is occasional, where you run into something in your life, a traumatic event happens or something goes wrong, and then fear comes back and is talking and being the boss. The boss. So we're learning to address this. And we've talked about fear. We did a whole series on it a, a little over a year ago, right, when COVID began to hit. And so we're just kind of being reminded of these things and understanding these principles. And here's something that's really interesting about fear. This is a newer thing that I've kind of come into is fear is really a byproduct. It's, it's a reaction, a byproduct of something incredible that we have and that we possess. It's a byproduct of our ability to accumulate knowledge and project into the future. Now, it's an interesting statement for me to say because you're like, wait, you're saying that we have the ability to 
to project the future and like, like we, you know, actually, yes, we do. If you, if you think about this, all the time you're dreaming about what could be. And because of everything that we know, the laws that we've come to understand, the laws of nature and everything, and, you know, kind of how life generally goes, you plan ahead. You look into the future and you say, this could be. And not only that, like maybe some of you do this for your jobs, like you, you, you interact with your company and you make a year plan. Maybe you make a five-year, ten-year plan. There are things that you can depend upon that allow you to, to, to go in that direction. And there are people who've had wisdom of the past and you're able to build in buffers for financial problems and other crises that will naturally come into play. But you can, with all of that and predicting some uncertainty, project in the future and actually you know, come close to accomplishing and seeing that plan exist. This is a God-given gift. I would say it's one of his greatest gifts that he's given us. And it's one of the reasons why we say, I can't wait. I cannot wait for this weekend. You know, we've got a girls weekend away or I've got this trip plan. I'm going on vacation. I can see the future. My flights are booked. I've been planning my workout so I can actually be off. I can't wait. I'm going on this adventure. I'm moving into a new apartment. Or I don't know, whatever it may be. We say that all the time. It's what gives us the ability to imagine, to hope, and to dream. You can dream of a better future. And you need to say, okay, what would it take for me to see this happen? It brings an immense amount of hope into our lives. So without this ability, we can never look forward to plan anything. It'd be kind of like a toddler. If you're a parent, you have toddlers, or you have a sister, or, you know, you've got a little niece, and they're, and I would say, you know, a young toddler, or really, you know, just toddlers in general. If you're a parent, maybe you've made this mistake where you're like, all right, guess what? In one month, you know, we're going to the beach, you know, <laughs> like, all right, or we're going to go see this show. We're going to go, I don't know, what's the current show? I'm, I'm, my kid's a little bit older now, I don't know. Like, we're going to see Dora the Explorer. That's that's actually, Dora scares me. She she yells a lot, so I kind of like, but anyway, um, and the kid's like, all right, and so you wake up the next morning, and they go, I'm ready to go to the beach, or we're going to Disney World, and you're like, no, 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 it's a month away, <laughs> right? and the toddler's like, yeah, let's go, and like you tell them, and then you realize every day for the next month, they're going to be like, when are we going to, and so my wife and I learned this lesson. We have three kids, three young kids together. And so like that would get disastrous between the three. And they're like crying. I'm like, no, it's coming. And so we just wait until the morning of. Guess what? We're going to see grandparents. They're like, all right. And then like they can get in the car and we can actually do it. So at some point we have the ability to predict ahead. And, you know, maybe not a toddler. But anyway, it's a beautiful thing when you understand what's coming. But interestingly enough, fear then is a byproduct of that. So you say, I can't wait. But along with that, you begin to think, okay, what if, what if this happened? What if it rained the whole week? Oh, man, what if, what if a, I don't know if I can book this trip because it's on the coast, and what if a hurricane comes? And what's the cancellation policy? And, like, like, and so we say, I keep it, but, but then we think, you know, what if? What if this person rejects me like this person has done in the past? And we begin to Fear what can happen, and fear comes from that. And fear can be a good thing, and there are many reasons why fear helps us. It keeps us from danger. We can see danger ahead. It, 
that's how we parent. We parent with our kids. It can be a very useful tool when we help kids see and, and protect them from danger. So it's a strategy. It helps us. So fear has its place. But we never want fear to be the boss of us. And I, the, the upside of being able to dream in the future far outweighs um, the downside that fear comes into our lives and, and it brings to us. But if we're not careful, it gets a seat at the table. If you're with us a year ago, we talked about how fear wants to be in the boardroom. Fear wants to come in and say, did you know what happened? And it comes into the board reading of our hearts and our minds, and it sits down, and it sits at the heads of the table. And if we don't, we're not careful, it takes over. If, so fear has its place, but it's not at the center. It gets put in the corner room of the building that alerts us, and then we say, okay, thanks, we'll take it from here. So how do you do that? How do you engage that kind of self-control? How do we walk away? And so we want to look to Christ. He is the one person that truly can help us walk away from fear. And as I said earlier, Jesus said so much about it. And so it's kind of, it almost feels like novice or naive just to hear him say, all right, fear not. And that's what he would say to his followers. Fear not. Don't let fear be the boss of you. It's easy enough, right? It's easy to say. It's so hard to actually do, actually live in freedom. I don't know about you, but for me, when I look at my life and I begin to dream ahead, one of the things that I do in in times of, of, of great reflection is I would love to have the wisdom to walk through crises and be okay. And that's been a thing for me. And what I see is fear is the thing that drives me keeps me from that. And I'm learning to trust Christ. And he showed us a picture of this. And so I want us just to to read through this today and to hear from him and understand how powerful this can be for our lives. And so when he came to his followers, he led them, he helped them see their fears, and he wanted them to see how he was in control of these fears. And we're going to see them blow it and mess up, and despite all the knowledge that they had, continue to be afraid. And see, he would say to them, hey, don't be afraid. In fact, he came to them. He had just chosen his closest apostle. He had a group of disciples, a big group of people that had been following him and being around him, and he he chose 12 to be close with him and to teach directly and to lead. And And most of the 12 eventually started to lead the early church when Jesus ascended into heaven. And so he begins to to essentially train them and send them out. And and this is what he said to them. He goes, I am sending you like sheep out among the wolves. All right. (laughs) And then he said, you'll be arrested and beaten. That's what he told them. He's like, if you speak in my name, you're going to run into these. Like, this is some significant things. And then he said, after he said this, I'm not kidding. He says, but don't be afraid. (laughs) It's like sending you like sheep among the wolves. You're going to run into significant hardship. And... And so he said, don't be afraid. And so not surprisingly, it didn't make any sense, and they were afraid. And so he continues, and he takes them on this trip. And so we're going to find this in Matthew 8. And Matthew is telling us about this. He was here. Uh, he was part of this group and experienced this. And so this is Matthew 8, 23. He says, then he got into a boat, and his disciples followed him. Jesus got in a boat. They're like, all right, let's go. Where if they're following him, they get onto the boat with them. And they get out into this lake, and it said, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, 
so that the waves swept over the boat. And part of following Christ was him leading them into danger, into things that were tough. And this is the same for us. If we follow him, he's leading us towards life. But many times our pursuit of Christ eventually will come up against culture, and it's not always easy. And so they're hitting this storm, and it says here, but Jesus was sleeping, sound asleep. I don't know if you're someone who can just sleep through just about anything. My family and I went camping a year ago, and uh, we were in a tent, and a huge storm came up on us, massive, huge lightning and thunder. We were out in the open in this prairie, actually, and uh, of the five of us, four were awake, and the, the tent actually started, I didn't tie it down enough. Uh, we weren't expecting rain, so I had to you know, put emergency things up and a tarp on, and, and it started caving in on my youngest, who was sound asleep. Like, you would not believe it. The tent was falling in on her, massive thunder, rain happening on the outside, sound asleep, best sleep of our life. We still can't believe it to this day. It's legendary in our family. And so here's Jesus. His massive waves are coming up. It's not even covered. I don't know. Maybe he's under, there's a thing underneath, but he's sleeping. And so the disciples went to him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And some of these guys were former fishermen. That's what their livelihood was. They understand. They're like, and so for them to say that, it's pretty significant. And so Jesus replies to them. He says, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? To which they're like, well, we're afraid because there's a huge storm and like uh, we're may, we may drown. And so when you're about to, you might drown like you're afraid. All right. Like, like, like we're afraid. And so then Jesus got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. Immediately stopped. And so then and Matthew shows us this, and the other writers do too, like another fear comes into their hearts. It says, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind, the winds and the waves obey him. Mark was writing this, and he, we believe he, it was Peter that uh, helped Mark write the story and Mark says, this is a literal translation from the Greek, says they feared a great fear. <laughs> they were terrified, as in some of the other translations. This is after the winds were calm. They were fearing a, a different fear. They were in awe, amazed at who Christ was. But it didn't fully sink in. Like he has the ability to calm the waves. Wow, that's incredible. In a couple, you know, not too long after this, Jesus was teaching to a large crowd, large crowd, and here's what he said. He wanted them to really understand this. He says, he says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. He says, rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. What Jesus was saying here, he was like, he said, do you remember that boat ride? He says, you were afraid of the wrong thing. We get overwhelmed by the circumstances of our life that bring a tremendous amount of fear. What if I get fired? What will this person think of me? Or what if this happens? And our social status, or people being angry, and, and, and now we're, we're tremendously afraid of being canceled and nothing. You know, like, there's all these 
fears and, and traps that we are, we're going to walk into in our world. There's the actual fear of death, and we want to be safe. All these different things come into our minds. And Jesus is like, there's, there's so much, there's things that are greater going on that you are made to be eternal. He says, don't forget what is the most important thing for us. And he shows how much God knows about us and cares for us. These are phenomenal statements that Jesus begins to make. He says, are, are not two sparrows, you know, two cheap birds sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. He says, even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. He's like, God knows this. He's aware. He sees to a degree and extent that we can't even fathom. So Jesus says to them, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. It is a massive statement that Jesus is showing us of the heart of God for you. It shows us that God knows what's going on in a personal lives and that he cares. And even when bad things happen, we can trust him. Jesus said, you're going to have trouble. Yeah, it's going to be there. He says, but fear not, for I am with you. I have overcome the world. And so fast forward just a little bit later, not too long after this, and Jesus has been teaching, and it was this phenomenal moment where there's thousands and thousands of people, and he performed a miracle, another miracle that many people witnessed of him uh, feeding all these thousands of people out of just a little bit of food. You, you may have heard of this miracle, and this, this whole event happens, and people are like ready to, 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 to just lift Jesus up, and Jesus is like, this is not the time yet, and so he needs to get away. And this is fascinating. I've, I've read this passage so many times in my life. I never really understood until recently this, this phrase, this, this verse here. But this is Matthew 14, verse 22. And so Jesus wants to get away from everybody, and they're near a body of water. So as it says here, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. He's like, we need to get out of here. He actually sends them off. But here's the thing. The, the, I've, I've never really looked at it until recently, what it says. It says, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. And if you remember, like, what's happened, they were in a boat with him not too long before this. I don't know exact days and time here, but it wasn't too long. And so it says that he made them. Remember we read earlier that Jesus got into the boat and they followed him? This is completely different wording. In fact, if you <clears throat> look at the Greek, and I'm not a Greek scholar, okay? People just show me this. It's really, it's great. I'm thankful for that. But it's, it's, it says, it, it's, the word used here is for made actually means that he forced them into the boat. And so, like, if you think about this, like, um, if you've had a pet and, like, maybe the first time you took them to the vet, maybe they enjoyed riding the car, I don't know, you know whether it's cat or dog, cats don't really like that, but anyway, and so then you take them to the vet and, and, uh, it's, and then the dog's like, wait, what is this place, right? Like, and it's not, that's not necessarily fun for the animals, you know, they, you know, taking their temperature is not really great for any kind of animal and, like, other things. And so they just take in this whole experience, and somehow they just remember all the clues and everything from it. So the next time, maybe you take them on different car rides. You take them, you know, go to the vet, and somehow they just know the pattern, and they knew that you are got to do this. And you're like, how did Because they suddenly will not go. 
And they're like, how did you know I was going to the vet? Like, they're just baffled by that over the, the animal. Anyway, so then you're trying to force, get to force them into the car, <laughs> like get to make them do this. And this is kind of the scenario. They're like, yeah, Jesus, I know that, you know, so those couple of us are fishermen. We grew up on a boat and, you know, but, you know, the last time you took us out of the boat, um, we're not so sure. And one of the translations here, it says that, that Jesus insisted. And that's the word, like, in our language, like, if you're talking with someone, like, no, you do this or you do this. You know, no, 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 I insist. Like, when, oh, you, well, you said insist. Like, as soon as you say the word insist in our culture, it's like, oh, <laughs> like, oh, well, I don't have a choice then. You insist. I've got to do this. Like, you're at the table over dinner, and oh, I'll get the check. No, you get the check. Well, someone says, well, maybe we just split it. Let's just split it 50-50. Let's not worry about the details. Another person says, no, 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 I insist. And it's like the Wild West, like a lion's drawn. Like, oh, okay. If you cross the insist line, like, that's going to be <laughs> like, like, well, I guess you're going to have to pay then. <laughs> you insist. This is, this is the wording used here. So Jesus insisted. He's like shoving them into the boat. And so then it says that he, he says, he sent them into the out. He says, go on ahead of them to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. <clears throat> and so then it says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Walking on the lake. Yes, Jesus walking on the water. So some people say, okay, we talked earlier about Jesus calming the storm, and now you're saying that Jesus walked on water. And if you've ever heard that phrase, walk on water, and if you didn't know, this is where it originated from. An actual event. Christians don't believe that Jesus walked on water just because the Bible tells us so. We read this document and say, well, we're just do that. No, it's something more than that. It's so much better than that. We have these firsthand accounts from these writers that were with him there that wrote about this. And they wrote about it while people, they were still alive. People were reading these documents and understanding this, proclaiming Christ. They saw him resurrected. And we see this entire church take off, an entire culture change from people overnight, which has never happened in history before. And a church takes off just like Jesus said it would. So many things that we stand on faith because of his resurrection, knowing that these things are true. But what's really interesting is, is, is how they describe themselves in all of these stories, how they were clueless. It was embarrassing for them to admit many of these things that they talked about. And when literary critics look at things, one of the things that they do, if you've ever studied literature, um, is they have the thing called the criteria of embarrassment. Where usually people make themselves out, be out the hero of this. They're like, oh, yeah, we knew that all this was going to happen and everything else. And, and that's not what the disciples did. Like they, at their expense, they talked about how they responded to so many different things. And it helps historians determine the authenticity of something. So if something is embarrassing to a person's importance, the assumption is the author would not have invented the incident. This is not how people would have written about things if they were trying to make this up. So Jesus is walking out to them on the lake, and it says here that when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. They were freaking out, like they're literally losing their minds. And it says that they say, it's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. 
And so people would have come up to these guys. They would have said, did this really happen? Like, like, like you wrote before, like you saw Jesus calm the waves and he sent you out. Wouldn't you have you like put two and two together? It's like, no, we were idiots. Like we, we were freaking out. Like we, the ghosts don't exist, but we thought they did at that moment. And it says here, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. There he says it again. Basically, he's like, as long as I'm here, there's no need to follow your fear, even when there's actually something to be afraid of. So you think, okay, I mean, those are two massive experiences. All right, Jesus, we're yours. Like, they, they got it. Like, they're going to just remember everything that he says. They're not going to be afraid. Like, we would think that we'd do that. And guess what? They didn't. It didn't stick. Not too long after this, Jesus has what we we call the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. We're going to take communion now based upon what Jesus gave us that night. And he says to them, he says, they broke bread together, they drank wine. He says, this is representing a new covenant between God and his people. And they would have gotten really excited in that moment. Say, man, everything we've been doing, this is what we've been waiting for. This is a new covenant. Here we go. It's about to happen. Like, we were following you. We know you're going to be the Messiah and, and begin to lead and to rule. So here it comes, a new covenant. And that very night after they did all this, he said these things, Jesus was arrested. And then beaten. And then they freaked out. Like, he wasn't even dead yet. He had just told them he was going to die. And they like, and like he told them everything, and they, just, they freaked out. They began to deny him, began to curse others who identified him. Aren't you with that guy? No, 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 no. Like, and, they, and, and they talk about how they utterly lost faith. They ran away in fear, and then Jesus was crucified and dead. And they lost all hope. Can you imagine? I just put yourselves in their shoes, the, the fear they had. And I, and I want you to engage with this as we're walking through these stories of, of how they've encountered fear. Like, they're just utterly confused. They, they didn't understand Jesus. Jesus wasn't supposed to die. Like, he calmed, because like, he, they think about this, right? He calmed the waves, but, and he had power over this, and then now this, they just were in mass confusion. And not only that, all these people were seeking out Jesus. They're trying to stop this, this movement entirely. And so they knew that they were gonna, they were successful there. They're going to come after them. And they were hiding, freaking out, locked in behind doors. And they would have had a great sense of loss, hurt, and confusion. And that would be embarrassing to tell. But yeah, Jesus told us over and over again. We, we set it out. He's going to die, and three days later, he's going to rise from the grave. And we, we didn't understand. But then Jesus' resurrection happens. And Jesus' resurrection punctuated everything he taught and said about himself. And they're devastated because everything was dependent upon him entirely. So when he died, it was it. It was over. And things that made no sense before suddenly made perfect sense. Like it all just resurrected in their lives as well. Especially what he said about fear. And so for us, 
the resurrection many times is just completely thought about and centered around Easter. We talk about it obviously usually on Easter because that's what we're celebrating. But the, the resurrection is an everyday moment. And for them, for the first century believers, it was everything. It changed their lives drastically in every way possible. It was their source of strength. There was no New Testament scripture for hundreds of years. There were letters that began to be passed around and teachings and different things. This was everything to them. It was their strength. It was their boldness and their courage. Jesus' resurrection validated the claims that he made about himself. It proved that he could be trusted, that he had the words of life. And the world was still a very scary place. People were still after them and to put them to death. But they no longer needed to be afraid. They feared not. They literally feared not. They came out of hiding. They faced down the very same men and people that had Jesus arrested, crucified, and began to proclaim boldly in the streets about the resurrection. And suddenly, fear not changed the world. Why? They had lost their fear of death. It was all the way for them, the reality of their lives. They knew that death no longer had power over them, that even in death, they won. And that's the amazing truth of what Christ has shown us, is that he has proven victory over death. So when even the worst of what happens to us happens, death doesn't win. In Christ, we win. He's fully won. And it's interesting, there, there, there are things that have come out in writings of history about Christians. We've, we've seen writings from Roman emperors talking about the impact of Christianity in the world. And, and there's this amazing one. I've, you've heard me mention this before. In, in the second century, there's a Roman medical writer named Claudius Gallienus. And he's someone who would examine the bodies of people dying. They were not allowed to do autopsies after people were died at this, this time in history. It's one of the reasons why medical um, things did not advance for so long. They were not allowed to touch bodies after they died. And so what they would do in this town, and it was a terrible thing to, to, to actually think about this, but they desired so much to know about this. They, would, they were allowed to observe people when they were dying. And so he was one of the people who did this. He examined the bodies of Christians as they died from the injuries in the Roman arena. You know, you see in Hollywood, the Roman arena and all the matches and people being killed and everything. Like, this actually happened to Christians quite a bit. And they would go out and observe them. And there was such a distinct difference among the Christians that he wrote about. And here's what he said. He says, for fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witness in them every day. Isn't that incredible? It was so deep in them. They had been put in arena to die, and they were not afraid. Because Jesus had shown them that they didn't have to be afraid anymore. And this is the same for us today. And this is not easy to do, right? So fear is a permanent part of the human experience. Which is a massive understatement right now, right? Like you just read any news article, everything, any news article, number one period is just written out of like, okay, how do we make them afraid? Like you got to be interested in this. 
But there's a lot of things to actually be afraid of in your own life. And there's lots of ways that we can try to find and cope. But none of us want it to be the boss of us. And I'm someone who's allowed that to happen in my own life. I've had fear be the boss of me before. And and to the grace of God and, and Jesus' pursuit of me, he has helped me see that and continue to walk away from that. So Peter understood this. And Peter was one of the worst of the disciples as far as just just blowing it, not understanding. We like to make fun of Peter for that reason. Anyway, here's what he writes to us. He says, cast all your cares on Jesus because he cares for you. Remember Jesus' words? Doesn't that sound like that? He says, not even a bird falls to the ground without me knowing it. I know about your life. I care for you. The way he says it, it literally means to transfer all your worry to him. And Peter would know. He faced things we cannot imagine. He was put to death in Nero's Rome, and Nero was brutal, ruthless. He understood the psalmist who said, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will, I will not fear. And we'd say, fear, you are not the boss of me. So where is fear in your life today? Maybe you can dream of the future. Well, we know even when there are things that we should be afraid of, we are afraid of. But Christ is with us. and We don't have to be afraid. Is that a reality for you? I encourage you to pursue him. And allow others to be in part of that conversation as we walk away from fear and towards faith in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your words today. We thank you for the example that you gave us to say, I know that you're afraid, but I'm here to show you that you don't have to be anymore. I pray for those that are in fear today that you would give them the strength to begin to to walk away from that. God, it's not easy. It takes time. We understand that. But I pray that we would learn to come to you and transfer that worry over because you can carry us. So I pray today for those that are listening online and watching us here and here in person that we would begin to trust you and give it to you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.